If you're an established woman in tech who is creating results and making an impact at work, so your workload and stress just keep growing, but promotions and salary bumps remain a distant dream, it's time for a change. Listen, we all know the tech industry has dramatically changed. It's time your career approach did too. You don't need cookie cutter programs or dusty advice from outdated playbooks because What works for tech bros won't work for you. You need individualized, bespoke support to build your brave career. One that reflects who you are as a woman in tech. I invite you to explore career coaching with me. Get all the details, including prices and client results at tricksteinbach.com. You can stress less work less, and earn more. You've already earned it. Let's make it happen. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Celebrate Brave. I have got a very exciting first. I am welcoming Caroline Centinelli, a client, and also the first client I've ever had who built her brave to then open up her own business. So exciting. Oh my gosh. Caroline is also a former educator. She is a rock climber. She is a world traveler, passionate about so many different things. And Caroline, I'm so excited to welcome and share your story with everyone. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Now, did I miss anything? In my intro, I don't think so. It's, I mean, you know, I can elaborate, but I think you captured it really well. Oh my gosh, I'm excited. So tell us all the business that you started. Let's just start there because I've never had a client who's like, you know what? I built my brave and I thought I was going to do this, but I'm actually going to go over here and do all this amazing stuff. So what are you doing now? (laughs) Yeah, so I am now running a professional grant writing services consulting firm, a little boutique firm. And uh, it's got a name and everything. It's called Terra Prosody Consulting. You can find it on LinkedIn. That's the only place so far that you can find it. (laughs) And um, essentially what I do is I leverage grant funding strategies for a couple of different types of clients, mostly environmental nonprofits, but also climate tech enterprises. And I do this by creating a funding strategy that helps them limit sort of the guesswork of what types of grants to go after and their chances of winning those. And I put that together for them. And then if we like working together, I write those grants for them. On the for-profit side, it's a little different, but uh, but that's sort of the gist of it. Um, but in the for-profit side, it's more about creating partnerships um, with nonprofits so that these really cool climate tech clients can essentially help fund their research or often get the workforce that they need in order to do the work that they're trying to do in the world. So if they're trying to install heat pumps or solar panels, um, often they've got this amazing technology, but they don't always have a workforce to install those and they don't always have the capacity to develop that workforce, but a lot of nonprofits do and a lot of them already do it. And so there's just a lot of potential there to create really cool partnerships. So that's that's like the long-term vision. 
of the business. <laughs> I am blown away. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Um, and part of my response to that, and I don't, I don't want to like crash or spoiler or anything, your brave story. So is your brave story that you were planning on sharing around this? It's funny. It's related to this. I think the story I was going to share is the lesson I had to learn in order to get to this place. I would not be here if it wasn't for that story, but they're, they're slightly different. Okay. Well, let's tell that. And then it's definitely going to loop back. Oh, I'm yes, so okay. So I am on the literally. I just scooched all the way to the edge of my seat. I'm like all crunched, <laughs> so I need to straighten myself. But like edge of my seat. What lesson did you have to learn? Share your brave story with us. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, it was hard for me to come up with this, and then as soon as I thought about it, I just like I have I have a page of notes in front of me. It just poured out. I actually was so concerned about it that I asked my boyfriend last night to give me a story. I was like, when, when do you think I've been great? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this, uh, this turned into just a disagreement about what bravery is, um, which was hilarious. <laughs> and so being the person I am, I turned to the internet and I was sort of like, okay, who's an expert on bravery? And I just Googled Brene Brown, brave definition. <laughs> And it was really helpful because it actually, this is this is the thread. This is where I found the thread that connects these things. So I was reading through, I found this article. It was something very clickbaity, like five ways, you know, to be brave, according to Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And one of them, as I was reading through this list, one of them just hit home in one of those like, oh man, that's something I don't want to have to share publicly on a podcast kind of ways. Like, I was like, Oh no, that's it. Um, and it was this, this one of these on the list was, um, belong to yourself first, which yes. at first I was like, uh Oh, like I just read it and was like, Oh no. And what I loved about what it continued on in this article is it talks about it's not about like choosing yourself and being selfish. It's not about doing more self-care. It's really this idea of stop trying to fit in, stop living in this way where you're worried about what everybody else thinks and just choose to be yourself and to lean into those those things that make you you. And and often I think what's so hard is usually there's conflicting things, at least for me, there are conflicting things that make me me. And so that's just been the crux of so much of this journey. And I also was reading it and I was like, oh my gosh, if you asked me to sum up 98% of our coaching sessions, those four words, I feel would capture everything. <laughs> <laughs> just like every session with you, Nicole, is like, it just comes back to that. Oh so I knew gosh. I had to start it there. Um, yes, okay, I so- I completely agree with you, Caroline. And I actually really like that. She she said that for a couple of years, Brene Brown did, like, belong mm-hmm. to yourself first. The reason that I quote um, Untamed and Glennon Doyle is disappoint other people, never yourself. Right. And the goal mm-hmm. and the story that she shares around that is she so she has three kids. The oldest one wanted another one of them to join a specific group, and the other child didn't want to. Mm. And her parenting to the child was disappoint your brother, don't disappoint yourself. 
And people Mm. tend to understand that and be able to bring that into their lived experience. They can think of a concrete example of something going on in their life where they are disappointing themselves or they're not willing to disappoint other people. And the Brene Brown for me is really that like next level understanding of belong to yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that was the main thread of our coaching for sure. That, yeah. So, uh, so the main thread. Um, yeah. So, so the story I want, I was going to share is that, so some background you mentioned in the intro that I was an educator and I was actually a high school English teacher. And you know this, um, but in October of 2021, I started to lose my voice. And that's not a metaphor. I legitimately couldn't talk. Um, I thought I had laryngitis. By December, I was like still just like croaking like a witch in like a Grim Brothers tale. I just, I couldn't mm-hmm. talk. I went to all these doctors and I finally went to this very specialized throat doctor who looked at me in one appointment and he said, there's nothing wrong with your throat. Tell me about your stress levels. And I just like croaked back at him, like they're pretty high. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, they're pretty high. And, yeah, and he was like, "Well, I can tell your neck muscles are so tight that they're pulling on your voice box, and it's causing you to lose your voice." And he prescribed me like two weeks of not talking, and sent me this voice therapist, which was actually very fun, and told me to consider taking some time off. And I was really stressed at this point, and I was disliking my job tremendously but teachers don't take time off. And so I started seeing the voice therapist and sort of continued on. And I started to experience panic attacks for the first time. I would call my friend Joni just in tears in this like true state of despair. Um, I couldn't, couldn't see how I was going to get out of this cycle I was in. And I was crying on my way to school. It was a really toxic environment to paint a a quick picture of that, we had three people in my department alone leave since I had started the job. And I had started about slightly over a year before that. So I'd only been at this school for a year and a couple months and three people had left. And two of those were mid-year, which just like doesn't, if if there are any teachers listening, you sort of were like, wow, that, that pretty much never happens. It's pretty unheard of in teaching to live and leave in the middle of the year. Um, So that was the atmosphere I was in and I left for winter break and I thought, you know, that'll help. Um, It didn't. And then I also got really sick and I thought I must have COVID or the flu, but I just had this different fever inducing virus and I was wrecked Mm -hmm. and I had to take the first week off of the new semester. And that's when I knew I couldn't wait till the end of the school year to do something about my circumstances. Cause I'd been seeing um, this therapist about my stress levels. And I remember telling her that I had been lying in bed crying and I realized I wasn't crying because I was sick or I didn't feel well. I was crying because I would rather continue to be sick than have to go back to work because it was actually the best that I had felt emotionally in the last like three to four months. Oh my God. Yeah. And I did so, not know that. I did not yeah. know that. I met you after that conversation. We met after that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and I have to say, I've been there. 
Yeah, it's yeah. so many people have. And I that's one of the reasons I wanted to share this story is I think, so what came next was, you know, I'd been stre- suffering from stress-induced insomnia. Um, I'd been sleeping for about four hours for like the last pretty much three to four months. And that was when my therapist said, you know, have you ever considered medical leave? And when she first proposed this, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I like people who need that are not like me. I'm way more resilient than that. I did like all of the not vulnerable stuff you're not supposed to do. <laughs> and and those and those lies right there, those two lies that you just said, right? Like mm-hmm. people like me don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that is so indoctrinated into us that we're supposed to be able to do all things for all people at all time except for ourselves. Because we are so trained to not belong to ourselves. Yes. Yes. It is so true. Especially, I think everybody struggles with this. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that especially women, especially teachers, there are some people who are in service jobs, I think, I see really struggling with it. But I think everybody really does. Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. 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 So it was funny because so about two days later after that combo, I started to feel better. Like my, my flu COVID virus thing was going away, but then I also started to get all this nerve pain up and down my arms. They were like fiery and tingly and I thought it was a weird climbing injury. And so I went to the doctor and her first question, just, I told her what's wrong. She didn't take out any instruments. She just looks at me and she goes, tell me about your stress levels. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, they're high. (laughs) Oh my God. The universe is like, so we'll just keep knocking. We'll just keep knocking. Exactly. It's like, we're going to hit you over the head with this lesson again. So I said to, she said to me, you know, have you considered medical leave? And I still had the gall to look at this medical professional and be like, oh, no, I think this is a climbing injury. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, she was very patient with me. And she was like, hmm. And she was like, well, what are the chances that you injured both of your arms at the exact same time in the exact same way with no clear mechanism of injury? And I was like, hmm. That's a really good point. (laughs) And and this is good for people to know. If you are struggling with somatic stress issues, that's like a good indicator. If you're like, not only is there no mechanism of injury, but also this is like weirdly, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, Not parallel, symmetrical, right? Like there's a weird symmetry. Like there's a very small chance that you manage to injure both sides of your body in the exact same way at the exact same time. And that was something she taught me. Yeah. The same with headaches, the same with digestion issues, right? The same with pressure in your shoulders or potentially in your lower back. Mm. A lot of people think it's just because they're getting older. And Mm -hmm. I will tell you that sure. Yeah, we are getting older. I mean, I'm turning 42 very soon. By the time this is out, I will be strongly 42. And yes, our bodies change. But a lot of that especially reduced sleep, is all stress. Yeah. 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 And so I um, so I had two days until I had to go back to work. And because I was, you know, finally feeling better. I'd only taken, you know, 
a couple, like a week, I think, because I had really been wrecked with this sickness. And I emailed my therapist when I got home from that doctor's appointment. And I said, okay, I'll think about the leave. Can we talk? And um, I ended up taking six weeks off. And I realized that when I, as soon as I signed this paperwork and, and called the doctor, because you have to sort of coordinate with a couple of different doctors and and your HR department. And I, I will say one, it was not that difficult. Like if people are considering it, the paperwork is paperwork, but it's, it's not too difficult if you've got an HR professional to help you out. But yeah, the second I did it, I was like, wow, I've been wanting to do this. And that was the second I was like, oh, wow, this is what it means to belong to yourself first. Um, Because the thing that had been scaring me was not, oh, I don't need that. It was, oh, what's everybody else going to think? And that was that was hard. And honestly, and some of my assumptions were wrong and some were right. And that was also hard is I was really nervous to tell my family my friends were like, you have to tell them. And I was like, I don't know, like, maybe I can go six weeks and just like, they won't notice. Um, (laughs) And they were like, no, no, you have to tell your parents. And, um, and I told my parents, and they were so great about it. And so supportive. But then I told a couple friends who I thought would be really supportive. And they were the ones who were who were pretty judgmental at first. Um, And one of them was judgmental in exactly the way that I was afraid of, which is, you know, she had said to me, like, don't people who need that also need to be hospitalized? Um, And I was like, well, three medical professionals told me to do it. And none of them mentioned the hospital. So I feel pretty good about the decision. But it is that is the stigma I was carrying around. It's the stigma Mm -hmm. a lot of people carry around. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, and in order to do it, I just had to, I had to put all that aside. And I also had to, and it wasn't, it wasn't one of those. I had to put all that aside and, and it turned out to be great. It was like, I had to put all that aside and I had to face the fact that yes, it is true. Some people are going to be disappointed. Some people are going to be judgmental Mm -hmm. and you have to just feel confident about the choice you made. So that that's the brave story. And then that was the moment that I realized that that was a practice I needed to lean into. And, you know, there are a lot of dots I could connect, but that's really kind of what led me here to to starting my own my own little boutique firm. Your own business. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah and it, I'm, it's so funny because I've had a number of conversations recently about board of advisors and getting pushback and the Gloria Steinem quote just keeps coming up. As any woman who chooses to behave like a full human being should be warned that the armies of the status quo will treat her as something of a dirty joke. That's their natural mm. and first weapon. She will wow. need her sisterhood. And the truth is so many of us are walking around with these stories from, you know, Andrew Carnegie, a man who's not hospitalized is a man who can work, right? Forward, mm. very similar. The value of a man is shown by the value of his output, right? Then we have Reagan, right? And the whole like people taking advantage of the system, right? That didn't start until the late 70s, everyone. Before that, that wasn't really part of the process. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to understand so many of our issues today, go back to 1977 and just study that year. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. <laughs> everything about it. Yeah. The politics, the culture, you just yes. your mind is blown. <laughs> yes. And the access, right? Because, you know, as more people who are quote unquote not white got access, then people started questioning all of the processes and the support, the systems, the norms, et cetera, because heaven forbid if white people share, right? So all of this Mm -hmm. is true and we get to decide we are full human beings and we get to decide we treat other people like full human beings. And when people are not ready for us to be full human beings who take care of ourselves, who role model belonging to ourselves like you did, that triggers other people. We need to build the skill of letting them have their feelings and letting them deal with that. And that's something that you and I talked a lot about. So much about. about. Yeah. I will say you are an important part of connecting that moment because that was right before we met. And actually, part of taking that leave was, you know, I ended up hiring you. I signed mm-hmm. up for another teacher career coach course. Mm-hmm. I I went on an online date once I started feeling better during that leave. And I met the guy that I am still seeing. And he's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And I love him. And so, yeah, lots of amazing things came out of this. Um, but it was yeah. it was tough. It was really tough. And when you chose to go back into school, like I was like, she's not going to go back. She's not. (laughs) She's going back. And then you shared with me that there was this just obscene rule. Okay. This is not Caroline's opinion. This is Nicole's opinion. And I stand by it. Like I will die on this hill. And because of our relationship, I've actually shifted how I talk to my kids' teachers. Like I Mm. literally tell them, I do not need an instant response. This is something Mm. for the future. You know, I'd like to talk to you about this. How is the next three weeks, right? Because Caroline had a 24-hour email policy forced upon her. So y'all, just real quick, let's talk about this. Imagine yourself as a teenager. With all of your stupidity, (laughs) emotions, nonsense. And now you know that the adults who are educating you past your ignorance and your stupidity as you're navigating your emotions, you know that they're required to answer any and all emails within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Imagine yourself as a teenager. Imagine. Now imagine, and this is what I what I was like, I had to talk to my coach about this situation. Okay. Because <laughs> I was like, what kind of entitled, impulsive, irresponsible adults is that creating? Some things that we send into the world do not deserve a response as adults. Some of the stuff people write on my social posts do not deserve a response. It's ignorant, it's stupid, it's irrational, and it's in high emotion. 
what? Like, I don't know if you know how powerful that question was for me, but on another podcast episode with Jenny, my a client who didn't have a window in her office for like a decade, I was so I'm still angry about that. About her window, her lack of window, right? And for you, I'm like, 24 hours. I ran massive projects and I never heard of that nonsense. What? Belong yeah. to yourself, y'all. Belong to yourself. <laughs> nonsense. Yeah. It is funny. And it's it's such a cultural issue. And and to paint folks a picture, like, because I know there are probably some people who are like, um, yeah, like that doesn't seem that hard. But when you're teaching, like something that I truly didn't realize until I wasn't teaching is that a lot of my friends spend their day in front of their computer. Like, so responding to an email when it comes in is such a natural inclination, um, or most of them, you know, use other tools like Slack that are, you know, more collaborative and things like that. But, you know, when you're teaching, you're spending most of the day in front of students, not looking at your computer, or if you are, you're teaching a lesson. And so you're limiting like what is, I think, you know, hours and hours of email response time that other people have in other jobs to like these tiny windows in between class and like during lunch. And it was hard. I was so, that was so funny to me because I think I mentioned it in passing and was like, I'm not doing well at it. Like, (laughs) cause I got, you get narked out by, by some of these people, either parents or students who are like, um, I emailed Caroline on Wednesday and it's Friday and I haven't heard from her yet. (laughs) I would be like, and then you get, you know, the email from your, department chair sort of nudging you to respond and even if they do it in the nicest way possible that nudge like you still just feel so bad about yourself because you're like oh like I have I don't to be real clear I do not (laughs) I love it I love how I was like wow I've never even considered that this is crazy This is crazy. Okay. So I went, okay. So I got a little obsessed about it. This was in the spring, right? When we were working together at the very beginning, you were like, then I was like, what? Stop. We're going to talk about this. That is absurd. That's toxic. And it's slightly abusive. Anyways, I started asking everybody like, cause you, you, cause you really defended it hardcore. Right, you defended it at the time. Hardcore, so important. And and in the same way, you were like, "Well, you know, other people, I'm sure they do it because they're in the computer." And I was like, "No, I'm going to prove her wrong." So I walked around and I was like, "So, do you answer every email you get within 24 hours?" And you should have seen the looks of horror on people's faces (laughs) who work in technology and are in front of their computers all day, every day, especially during the pandemic, right? And they were like, "What?" No, no. And so finally I shared with you and I'm going to share with everyone. There were two times in my career where I had gotten so many emails. I had like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know, thousands of unread emails. I decided to select them all and delete them all and move on with my life. Incredible. Twice. I did that twice. (laughs) One of my mentors, this amazing woman I worked with for about a year and a half, she's the one who was like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to start over. And I was like, I I could never do that. I have to answer every email or at least read it. And she's like, no, you really don't. If it's important, they'll follow up. And if it's not important, it's busy work. And aren't you tired of doing busy work? And I was like, damn. Right? Blew my mind. Utterly blew my mind. 
Incredible. So you are a business owner. I am. Yeah. Well, technically right now a sole proprietor. I have a yes. I have some outlined goals for that if I hit in the next three months, I will become an LLC. So I'm I'm trying to one of the models, if anyone out there is trying to <laughs> do this, um, that I learned from a new mentor of mine is to make the amount that it's gonna cost you to start the LLC first and then use that. Mm-hmm. Um so that's that's my goal. I've got, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of notes and spreadsheets and all that kind of nonsense. So, <laughs> so exciting. So in the loop back that I promised before your brave story, which was very brave, and I really appreciate you sharing that with everyone because I know quite a number of people need to hear that. Quite mm, a number. Thank you. Um, I want to share that it was clear from the beginning you wanted to do good. You mm. care so much about the climate. You care so much about food and plant-based food and renewables. I mean, I can't even remember the name of that. What what was it with like there was somebody who was making food that doesn't have meat in it or something. What was it? You were the one who taught me about oh, it. I can't oh. remember. Anyways, so you just had so much passion. Then you are ridiculously talented. It's an innate talent to take all kinds of thoughts and ideas and data and nah, 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 and create just a very clear summary in writing. So at the time, you're like, yes, it has no value. It's easy for me. <laughs> easy for me, therefore, it has no value. It's too easy. Doesn't everyone do this? <laughs> what do you mean it takes other people weeks to write an article? I sat down in the last like half hour and pounded this out and everyone likes it. It must be shit. Uh, right? yeah. <laughs> and as you stepped, and I remember being like, what are you talking about? Like, if you're amazing at it, that means you're amazing at it, right? Like you can literally sell that. I think I even said that to you, even though I had no mm-hmm. idea you would go and, and found your own business. But I was like, yeah. you could sell that like that. You're selling that. Like, why not just sell that, right? And then um, you got into that farm school. Yep. Yeah, the climate farm school. Mm-hmm. So cool. You came back fire and flame and just this very like grounded, earthy presence of like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you allowed it all to come together. So now you're writing grants, which mm-hmm. I know from my friends is considered a pain in the ass. It's so hard. <laughs> There's all these resources and all these people, and you got to pull it into the story on time. Mm-hmm. Doing things that drive forward solutions for the climate and making good money. It's possible. It is. You told me it was. And and I fought you every chance that I had. <laughs> yes, you did. It, it takes me, you know, there's this great story we used to hear at um, my camp I grew up going to. It's from a book called The University of Hard Knocks. Um, and it's a weird book. It's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's maybe religious in nature. It was which I'm not a religious person, but I remember reading this book and there's a story, a parable in it about 
how um, we all have to get bumped. And then there's this sarcastic tone where it's like the smartest people have to get bumped a couple of times to really learn the lesson. And I remember uh, actually having a moment, speaking of writing, where I was sitting with a good friend of mine at the coffee shop. I was doing some job applications and she was she's a consultant. She was working on something. And oh, I remember this. Yeah. So she turned to me and, and she was like, Caroline, you know, I'm getting this feedback from my boss that my sentences are too complex. And I just I think that's a good thing. But I don't know, she seems to not like them. And like, what do I do? Could you just read this through? And I remember reading a paragraph and, and she is a, a fantastic writer. Um, but I also could see exactly what her boss meant. And it was very funny to me to be sitting next to this person who I, I very much love and respect, and I think is so smart. And to be reading her writing, which and to 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 have her not see sort of what her boss was seeing, I was like, oh, like it was so clear to me. I was just like, oh, well, I see what she means. You know, you've got a ton of complex compound sentences. I went full English teacher nerd on her, <laughs> and I was like, you could really break this up, do some sentence variation. You know, keep the sentences that you really want to like pack a punch short and sticky right after a longer one. It'll it'll add like a good cadence. Yes. To the writing, because even this is like brief writing, right? But even brief writing can be creative in these ways. Like there's a reason that, you know, we hear things and things stick with us. You can make writing sound very musical, even if it's very technical. And um, and she was like, oh, that's great. And we sort of workshopped it and it it sounded a lot better. And, you know, we, we moved on. And I, this story of bumps came into my head because I was just like, oh, I was like, this is this is me. Like I'm sitting here telling Nicole, like, no, no, that's not really a skill. (laughs) And I was like, this, this was the lesson I needed the final bump to be like, Caroline, (laughs) this is something that you're good at. And that even really smart people, it's just, they're smart in different ways. And, and yeah, I, I needed that moment. But yeah, I got to learn a lesson like at least three times before it sticks, unfortunately. <laughs> nah, you can choose to change that idea. Yeah. <laughs> but like leaning into your innate talent, leaning into what comes natural. I, so I, I shared with you and I'm going to share on this podcast, I refused to call myself a coach for about 10 years. Uh. People were only able to get to me over word of mouth, right? Mm-hmm. And so the one of the last male clients I had as part of my corporate career found out about me over someone who I had who had been my manager, then I had coached, then we worked on something together, and he shared my name with this client. And this guy says to me, he's like, I understand why you're leaving to start your own business. It's going to be coaching, right? And before I could even say like, no, it's going to be consulting and coaching and things like that. Before I could even like respond to him, he's like, because I've worked with the supposed best, but they don't listen. They don't see the pattern. I've had so many coaches You didn't even call yourself a coach. It's never been this concrete. And that was a moment for me where I was like, oh, I am fighting 
an innate talent that I have that makes me so special in the world. Mm-hmm. So I did the same thing. The yeah, same you have to thing. Belong to yourself first. So true. So true. Yeah. And my my first business coach, her name is Cami Gildner. She was the one who gave me permission to step into essence instead of brand. And Caroline, mm. I felt so much sympathy with you and so many – there were two times where I was like, I'm never going to see this woman again. She's going to send me an email that's like, screw you. I'm not coming <laughs> back. <laughs> like really, there were twice where I was like, let's see if she shows up. <laughs> right? But I fought my first coach too. Mm-hmm. I really fought her. And thank God, because, man, I made a lot of money through coaching with her, and that's just continued to compound because and allowing myself to go back and forth and back and forth like you did with me. Uh By the time that I started talking to other people about it, I was so clear. Uh The way you described what you're offering into the market short-term and mid-term and long-term is so clear, and it's the result of really leaning in to your innate natural talent. So congrats. Thank you. So exciting. So I want to make sure that we scale and um, and share. So who's a brave role model you wanted to share? Yeah, this one was also hard. Um, I I sort of I'm cheating a little bit. I'm I'm offering a brave set of role models, <laughs> but they Love are it. people I know. Um, so it actually, I mentioned this. I I grew up going to an all girls camp in New Hampshire, um, Mm -hmm. in the white mountains. And it was an incredibly formative force in my life for myriad reasons. I didn't grow up in a very outdoorsy family. I learned how to hike there. I'm now, I I was an outdoor educator for several years. Actually, that's a part of my education identity. I am hoping to hold on to. And, um, I climb, I ski, I backpack, I do, that's sort of my world now. And so personality and interest wise, this place had a huge impact on me, but also the women who I looked up to growing up in this space taught me so much about what it means to be vulnerable, what it means to have a, this is going to sound like maybe a little wooey, but what it means to have a spiritual life that's not religious, um, but is still, you know, grounded and present what that sort of looks like. And this was before we all talked about this a lot, you know, now you can Google that and a million books and a million brilliant people come up. But, but that was not a time where people were talking about that a lot. And, um, but more importantly, they showed me this group of women, and and I'm really thinking about the counselors who are many of whom are still very close friends of mine. Um, Mm. They taught me just all these different versions of success. Mm. And I watched them each. I watched them grow up just as much as they watched me grow up, especially now that I'm older. And I realized like, oh, they were just my age when I was watching them do that. And it's just all these women who, who kind of like we've been talking about really stepped into who they were and, and, and did that just in myriad ways, just, you know, some of them are teachers, some of them are professors, some of them, you know, have gone on to become, you know, more lawyers or doctors. Like you just saw this spectrum of humans, um, 
you know, some of them decided not to pursue college. Some of them, you know, decided to go live in a tiny house in Oregon. Like there's just this Mm. huge breadth of lives that I got to look at as a young person and sort of see like, wow, okay, all these people seem happy and they seem, you know, they inspire me and, and there's no one way to do it. Um, and that's another thing that I've had to like relearn over and over because I, I've known this for so long, but it's so easy to forget. Um, especially, you know, our worlds can become so myopic and you just look around and you're like, oh, everyone around me works in a big tech company and their goal is to do this and mm-hmm. they spend their free time doing that. And, and yeah, you just, and that's not a bad thing, but I think I, I really have to remember to take a step back and remind myself of the breadth of possibilities. And so those women have really been my, my brave role models for my whole life. Um, and I think, you know, they will continue to be, um, so I love that. I love that. Cause that's really, for me, that's, that is what this phrase empowered women, empowered women really means. When I am empowered and I live in my empowerment, whatever that means, a tiny house in Oregon or a high-powered D.C. law career or none of the above, I'm a tattooed massage therapist, right? But it's my empowerment. Because I'm doing that, you are empowered as well. She Mm -hmm. is empowered as well. I don't Mm -hmm. give them anything. I don't teach them anything. I don't make them anything. I am in my empowerment because empowered women, empowered women. That is so beautiful. Thank you. So we talked a lot about how coaching helped you, but is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to share with others? Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, how much time do we have? Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's always my answer. I'm like, every part of my life that I love or used to love. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think like the way I would maybe, maybe I've said this in many words, but the way I would maybe succinctly sum it up is that, you know, working with you and coaching gave me the perspective on my life that, I really lacked and desperately needed. And I think I had fallen into sort of what I just expressed this idea of, you know, I had these kind of myopic lenses um, in my personal world and in my professional world. And I needed to be reminded that those were not the only ways of seeing my career or really my life um, in my personal world. You know, it's a lot of people my age Um who have a lot of opinions on the professional world and not as much experience. Um, I'm 30. So, you know, we have a good amount of experience, but really it's your twenties. And, um, and I find that, you know, we write, and I'm guilty of this as well. We write all of these unspoken rules for ourselves and each other. Um, and what they really are is they're actually more judgments disguised as rules. Um, oh, and then we- <laughs> oh, 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 say that what we create these girl the hair on my neck is standing up truth has been spoken can you say that again yeah I so after a lot of reflection with you 
I see these as more of judgments disguised as rules. Yeah. Oh. And then we sort of package that. <laughs> I needed like to hear that. that as as some hard earned wisdom. <laughs> I coach the best freaking women. I coach <laughs> the best women. Y'all, mic drop, goosebumps, hair on the back of the neck. That is right. We have created all these rules, but they're not rules. They're judgments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and some of them are helpful, right? I think like we always think of judgment as a word with connotations that are negative. And sometimes these can be good things, right? But I think the yes. thing I have to remind myself is to do the work of identifying what are the good ones? Like, what are the ones that are helping me grow and helping the world be a better place and helping me engage with people better? Um, and what are the ones that are just, you know, getting in the way? Um, yes. and, and for so, each of us as individuals, because yeah. a, a rule or a judgment that serves me may not be serving my son or my husband or you or my daughter or your partner or right. And, and the other way, something that may be harming me and holding me back, maybe the thing that gives someone else wings to fly to who they truly want to be. Yeah. Woof. All right. I mean, Nicole, you're the one who really taught me this. I love how excited you are, but this came from you. <laughs> Because essentially, like, I was sitting there, you know, I think that there's this quote I love, a quote I love. Um, it's a Marcus Aurelius quote. And he says, what's standing in the way becomes the way. And yeah. that I was so leaning into what was standing in the way. And I was listening to all of my friends. And you were the one who was like, mm-mm. They have, like, 10 years of professional experience. Like, sure, that counts for something. But stop taking that as the only way of looking at this process and the world. And that like really opened up a lot for me. It, it took me a while to get on board. But once I did, I think just things became a lot easier. Because again, it's not, I think it's not about just disregarding everybody's rules. No, no. But it was sort of saying, oh, okay, this is one person's sort of way of seeing this. So I just, I love that because we did, we talked about that a lot. And I remember at one point I was like, so don't take this the wrong way, but your friends kind of suck in this moment. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, you're like, what is wrong with her? But here, here's back to that, like lean into your innate talent. Cause how mm. you said that, that is a gift. That is a gift. Oh, Caroline, thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. You, so you are the one who helped <sighs> me get here. <laughs> and you have played such an active role in my career growth and my business growth because coaching you has really made me very concretely, and I've never said this to you, so now you're hearing it for the first time ever, has really made me shift how I coach around Brave and helped me remove limiting concepts I had in my head. Mm. So I am very grateful for having been your coach. It's a true honor. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. 
So how we're going to have links to your business for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's right now it's just on LinkedIn. Um, you know, growing slowly costs money to build a website. So I can hand you that LinkedIn link. Um, and it's got all the information folks need to get in touch with me. So perfect. And I know multiple people who hit six figures in a, in a service-based industry and they had nothing. They had no web page. They had no fancy email. But what they did have is a beautiful passion and purpose and the skills to go along with it. So I'm, I'm already celebrating you. Oh, what a gift. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Until next week, everyone, brave it up. Go belong to yourselves. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you find the brave concepts I share in this podcast useful and you want personal in-depth support to reach your brave goals, I invite you to apply for my six-month one-on-one Build Your Brave coaching package. I coach you and I teach you everything you need to know to get clear, get going, and become your brave you. Imagine you and me together for six months building your bravery so that no matter your goal, no matter where you're starting, we celebrate your results. You will stress less, you will work less, and you will earn a lot more. Go to tricksteinbach.com and schedule your consultation. Till next week, brave it up.